for someone just starting, you have to be really resourceful. I even used to pull out the contacts from fashion magazines and look for their emails. You have to do what you have to do to get your name out there. Vintage clothes were Katie Echeverry's hobby before she started Unique Vintage. But what started as a side hustle run out of her spare bedroom has blossomed into an inclusive clothing empire with more than 100 employees and a seven-figure monthly revenue. I'm host Alex Freeman, and in this episode, I'm sitting down with Katie to find out how she started her online clothing business and grew it into one of the fastest-growing private companies in the United States and one of Newsweek's best online shops for 2021. We'll find out how much it costs to get started, how she built a rock-solid team, and how this self-taught entrepreneur became the leader of a multi-million dollar company. Let's go meet Katie. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me. Let's start with your story. When and why did you start Unique Vintage and what was your career before starting it? I was a pharmaceutical rep and quite happily, I might add, but underneath it all, I was a classic entrepreneur. I just didn't really realize it. And if I had any spare time, I wanted to spend that time making money. I was just a hustler. I tried my hand at making things, but I was definitely not cut out for that. So I realized I needed to buy and sell something that already existed and All of my friends were wearing vintage clothing, and I loved going garage sailing with my sister, so Unique Vintage was born. How do you feel like your past sales experience helped you grow the business? Well, I definitely had a crazy work ethic. I realized that the more I worked, the more successful I was, and so that really has helped me in being an entrepreneur. And uh, forgive, forgive the pun I'm about to make, but what makes Unique Vintage unique from other online clothing retailers? Yes, I've been told that I'm quite literal. So when I came up with that name, uh, it was right on the nose. What makes us unique, first of all, is that we are female founded and run. We're bootstrapped and we're size inclusive. And we have been since the beginning. What made you make that choice to, to be size inclusive from the beginning? How did that kind of ethos come about for you? Being a one-woman operation, I talked to my customers on a daily basis. In fact, I had our 800 number sent over to my cell phone, and she was looking for bigger sizes, and I wanted to provide that for her. Now, in that startup phase, uh, as you you were that one-woman operation from the beginning there, how much did did you spend to get started initially, and what were you spending that money on? Originally, I really didn't have like a nest egg or anything. I just started buying vintage clothing. And in fact, my mannequin I bought for $40 from the Goodwill. So I would estimate maybe $2,000 because it took me about six months before I got my first order. Does that seem like the the kind of budget that a new store owner might might need to start thinking about if they were to get started today? Or is that number shifted slightly? I think that that's still a good number. I think you can get a good start with $2,000. There's a lot of great e-commerce platforms that are offered for free now. So I think $2,000 makes sense. Now, you mentioned, uh, you know, six months to that first sale. How long after you opened did it take for you to kind of make the decision to to make it a full-time business? And what was the sign that it could work as your sole source of income? It took me about five years before I quit my full-time corporate job. The initial sign was around the three-year mark when Glamour Magazine mentioned Unique Vintage as one of their favorite places to shop for vintage clothing. And I was thrilled, by the way. I was ecstatic. I didn't understand how that happened, but it was really a hobby for me. I was only making about $1,000 a month, but that month we hit about $5,000. And that was the sign that I could possibly make this into a job. 
When you were working both jobs, how did you manage time and workflow to keep yourself from burning out in either career? I might have an unconventional answer. Maybe I'm just part of the old school, but there really isn't time management when you're an entrepreneur. I was so passionate about what I was doing and I just have that natural work ethic that I just worked every spare minute I had. I put everything into it. And I do think that that's important for anyone that's looking to start something up. You really need to be passionate about running your own business. It's not so much just the items that you're selling. It's that you're passionate about starting your own thing. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort. You know, you got to be ready for that. What platform are you using to, to host the shop today and why, why that platform and what are the advantages of it over other sites and platforms you may have used in the past? We're on Shopify Plus and it was the best decision I ever made. I'm not a very technological person. So once we were big enough to be on a large e-com platform, I was totally in over my head and wasted a lot of money. So Shopify is a platform really for anyone it's easy to manage. And so we've been really successful on it. What is your, your typical monthly revenue look like? And what percentage of that is profit? Since we're a private company, I don't like to be too specific, but we do average several million per month. And I'm always shooting for a 10% net profit. Quick uh, reminder for our listeners, uh, for more advice on how to grow your business's revenue, check out actionable tips and how-to guides on the Upflip blog. That is upflip.com slash blog. Now, I'm curious, where do you source the vintage clothing that you're selling? What are some great sources to, to get that vintage clothing at a price that allows you to make a profit? Originally, finding vintage was pretty easy and so much fun. I imagine being on a treasure hunt constantly. I shopped vintage in secondhand stores, estate sales and flea markets. I also learned how to spot a good deal on eBay. One strategy is to look at the items that generated the highest bids, how they were described and photographed and look for similar items to do the same. Nowadays, good vintage is much harder to find. And so I'm glad that we sell vintage inspired clothing at this point. Yeah, let's talk about making that switch. What kind of prompted the switch and how did that help you grow revenue? Around year five, I realized that scaling a vintage clothing website was probably not going to be possible since vintage is one of a kind. I was also a one woman operation. I spoke to all of my customers and most vintage is very small and didn't fit the majority of them. I figured the best way to solve both of those problems was to buy and make my own vintage inspired clothing that was size inclusive. Can you talk us through the process of converting from a, a vintage clothing reseller to a vintage reproduction retailer? Like how long did the process take and what were some of the costs involved? The interesting thing about that is that I had no contacts in this industry and I'm self-taught. So I just Googled apparel manufacturers in China because I figured everything is manufactured there and stumbled across a website called Alibaba.com, which is much more popular now and found a supplier that spoke great English. And I sent him a vintage dress as a sample. And he sent me back, um, sample back a few weeks later, and it was perfect. And so I was thrilled. I was like, okay, let's do this. He asked me to wire him money. And I was not even sure how to wire money. I had to go to the bank and ask how to do that. And it cost me about $2,000. And I figured, you know, worst case is I lose $2,000. It wouldn't sink the company. And six weeks later, I had product. Wow. So obviously, this is a very different workflow than sourcing vintage clothing and, and going out. So what new systems or standard operating procedures did you need to implement when you made the transition? 
I'm a firm believer in not overcomplicating processes like that. I simply introduced vintage-inspired clothing to the website and didn't miss a beat. That changed everything. The demand must have been there, but I couldn't supply it. So once I could, sales blew through the roof. Are those are those still kind of the systems you have in place today, or do the the systems you operate with today come more in the scaling, like the the size of employee, the number of employees that you have? Oh, for sure, we had to switch from you know a paper based business to software based. Uh, that was a huge transition for us when we got our first ERP. You know, we had paper all over the office. We had stacks of paper, folders with papers, orders everywhere. So yeah, software definitely helped you know, professionalize our company. What software do you use? At this point, we use NetSuite that's connected to our Shopify Plus, but we started with our first ERP was called Retail Ops. And that that company, they were a startup and they really helped teach us how to warehouse and, you know, add those kind of processes to our our workflows. I want to kind of go go back just a just a little bit in time here to that sort of startup and brand building moment for you. So obviously one of the big moments was the the feature in Glamour magazine. And so how did that feature come about and what advice do you have for for getting that kind of publicity as a small business? I was so lucky that that editor at Glamour magazine found me. It has definitely taught me the power of PR. She just found me. So I did nothing to earn that, except that I was ranked high on Google. And a funny story about that is I didn't really understand SEO at all at that point. And I remember emailing Google just for like the good karma, a thank you for ranking me so high, which is so funny now, because now I understand that it's just an algorithm. But from that point, I found a part-time stay-at-home mom publicist who worked for me for several years and I continue to do PR and classic PR has evolved now to digital PR, but we're still sending out product pitches weekly for someone just starting. You have to be really resourceful. I even used to pull out the contacts from fashion magazines and look for their emails. You have to do what you have to do to get your name out there. As you, as you were getting started, what were some of the strategies that you felt were most effective for, for building that brand and bringing in customers in the, in the early years of Unique Vintage? In the beginning, we didn't pay for digital marketing at all. In fact, I believe it was about 10 years. I relied heavily on SEO and organic traffic. And to be honest, I had no business experience or mentors at that time. So I was just constantly trying to put in processes and keep up with the business. That brings up a the the really interesting question here of you are self-taught and, we, and we'll we'll kind of get to that in a moment of how how you've been able to acquire as much knowledge as you as you have but as you kind of look back on the journey what is like the one thing that you wish you knew before you started the business and how would that have helped you grow faster I really wish I would have sought out mentors sooner I really knew nothing about business and some basic tools would have helped me grow bigger, much faster than I did. So then how did you learn all of the skills that you, you needed to, to learn? What are those skills and, and how did you go about acquiring that knowledge? What's funny about that is one of my mentors says that I failed my way to success. I literally am pretty fearless and trial and error. And, you know, you just try something, you make a mistake and you pivot, you try something else, you make a mistake and you pivot. And so that's how I've been able to get to where I'm at. Incredible. And and as you kind of like look at the scale you've been able to achieve, what do you think are some of the key factors that make a clothing retailer scalable? And, and how did you implement those at Unique Vintage? That's an easy one. I think good product, 
good traffic and good customer service, along with a passion for what you're doing is what it really takes. So this is going to bring us to a section of the show that we call our Fan Blitz questions. These come from our YouTube community. You can go find Upflip on YouTube, youtube.com slash Upflip. Join the community and you can pose questions to future podcast guests. Okay, so uh, Katie, we are going to try and get about seven questions in in about a minute and a half. Here we go. If you could go back in time and tell your younger self, don't do this thing, what would it be? Don't give your power away. I always thought that someone smarter or more experienced than me could figure it out or have a magic bullet. But in blindly following those smart people, I gave away my power and made some mistakes. What do you do with your profits? Up until a year ago, I only reinvested profits back into the business. I didn't take a distribution for 20 years. If something happens to you, what happens to the business? That's a great question because I don't have a great succession plan. I think my husband would take over as CEO and my leadership team would run the day-to-day. If you could change one thing about your business, what would it be? I would have tied it to a good cause like Tom's. What's the best part of being an entrepreneur? That I work for myself. What's the worst part about being an entrepreneur? All of the stress. What is the worst name that you could have given to your business? Honestly, probably Unique Vintage. I came up with that name in about five minutes, and I've been told that I'm pretty literal. I love it. That's going to do it for our Fan Blitz questions. Again, these come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community, and post questions to future podcast guests. Katie, I've got just a few more questions for you here. How did you know when it was time to, to grow a team? What was the first role you hired in? Well, about the fifth year, I had been married and was pregnant with my first child, and I just couldn't do it all by myself anymore. So I quit my corporate job, and I actually hired my neighbor and babysitter, and she helped me ship orders out of my garage, as well as my retired father. I love that. So from from that, how many employees do you have currently? At this point, I have a little over 80 employees. Most are in person as we have a retail store and a distribution center. And the rest of my office employees at this point are hybrid. We work three days in the office and two days from home. With that hybrid model, what tools or systems are you using to manage communication within the team? We use a lot of Gchat, uh, Google Meets, and Zoom. When you're looking to hire new employees, what are some of the main things that you're looking for? And the the flip side of that being, are there any red flags that tell you someone wouldn't be a good fit? Honestly, I'm such a sucker when it comes to hiring. I believe everything at face value and love everyone. I look for good common sense, a good work ethic and loyalty. Red flags would have to be a siren for me because I literally just take the person at face value. And if it was up to me, I'd hire the first person that I interview every time. So I like to involve my executive team in my hiring at this point. Important to, to know those those weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what 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 is the, your role in the business today? Like, what's the what's the day to day? What's the average week look like for you? I head up design, and I'm a very very involved CEO at every level. While I have an amazing leadership team, I have no problem being in the weeds. I go to the office almost every day, and I still work evenings and weekends. I mean, you can call me a workaholic, but when you're passionate about your business, it doesn't feel like work. And how would you describe your your company's culture? And was it built intentionally or developed kind of organically over time? Originally, I would say it was an incredible company culture that happened organically because I had such a small team. They were like a family. 
And really, we we learned to run the business together. And it was fantastic. It was such a fun time to be in business. Obviously, as you scale and get bigger, that company culture becomes a lot harder to maintain. And I do think I did a great job up until the pandemic. I still think it was such a warm and fun place to work. We did lots of team building events and we would do annual team building trips together. And I think it was a fantastic place to work. Now, once the pandemic hit, we did a great job working remote. But then we were affected by the great resignation. And so rebuilding that team and camaraderie is definitely not easy. Do you uh, own or lease your warehouse space and office spaces? And what were the kind of the main factors that you went into choosing the space? I do own our office and warehouse space. And in fact, I never even considered leasing. It's just the way I was raised, you know, to buy property and not lease it. I felt like renting anything was just money down the drain. We do lease the building next door, however, because we're growing. We were growing quite crazily during 2020 and 21. So I chose a building that was close to home. I I have two kids and that's important to me to maintain that balance. And so I also looked for a really nice place for my employees and the building that we're in has a gym and a sauna and we're dog friendly and there's dogs running around. So that was important to me as well. And where are your clothes manufactured? And what tips do you have for a new clothing retailer on choosing suppliers and manufacturers? All of our clothes are manufactured overseas in Asia. If I was to do it again, I would start by buying wholesale from other brands first and styling it in a new and interesting way. I wouldn't produce my own product until I knew I could sell that level of volume. When you're choosing a, a supplier manufacturer, do you have any like, what's, what's the vetting process like for, for bringing somebody on board? Again, I trust everyone. So for me, I just went for it and I ended up hiring that first manufacturer and I worked with them for seven years. Um, And after seven years, as we were scaling, I took a trip to Asia and learned about, you know, how to work with factories overseas. You know, someone that's starting out with small quantities, that's probably the first thing you want to talk about is what are their minimums? You know, how small are they willing to produce for you? What is the typical advertising spend in a typical month? And um, what platforms or types of ads are you finding give you the best return on, on the investment? Well, boy, times have changed. I do pine for those first 10 years where I didn't spend a penny on digital marketing. Those were the good days. But now in order to get in front of an audience, we spend several hundred thousand dollars a month on digital marketing. And everything changed with the iOS update in January. And everything's more expensive. And as far as our spend, we spend mostly on Facebook and Google. What are some of the the key metrics to keep track of as an online clothing retailer? And what what are your favorite tools for collecting and analyzing that data? Well, I am a product person and I am really a novice at the marketing end. My team uses Google Analytics, uh, Shopify, and we've just implemented a third-party tracking software called Triple Whale which really helps us have more clarity on what the return on ad spend is. What would you say has been your biggest mistake or failure as a business owner to date? How did you recover from it? And what did you learn from the experience? I have made so many mistakes. The biggest one that impacted me the most, I think, was when we transitioned from our very small open source 
e-commerce platform to Magento. And we had a backorder feature that we decided we didn't want to use anymore. And so we didn't build it out with our new platform. And when we launched, our sales plummeted. And when we dug into it, we realized that prior to that, 40% of our orders contained a backorder item. So that was a really scary time. And luckily, my ERP partner hustled and built me a backorder feature in a couple of weeks and saved the day. But what I learned from that is not to make decisions based on a feeling or someone else's feelings and always look at the data first. You meant, you've made mention of a couple of the, the big things that have happened in the world since 2020, right? Um, the, the Great Resignation being one of them. There's obviously also the, the COVID pandemic, to name just a few of the, the many challenges that businesses have faced. What's had the biggest impact on your business and, and how have you adapted to it? 2020 and 2021 was really quite awesome for us as far as sales. Everyone was stuck at home and shopping online. However, we were faced with a huge issue at the beginning of this year. As you can see with most retailers out there, we made the mistake of assuming that we would continue that trajectory and we ordered a ton of product for 2022 and sales just stopped. I mean, it just reverted back to like 2020, 2019. So we had a ton of cash tied up and excess product. And so just like you're seeing in the market, everything is on sale, everything is on promo. And that was a really scary time for us. How often are you releasing new clothing designs? And can you talk us through the steps of the design process and and any ways that you might do market research to, to verify demand for the new design? Sure. We release new clothing drops every month. We pull almost all of our inspo from uh, vintage fashion. While we do look at trends, they aren't as important for us. I tend to look at sales first and foremost. If our customer likes something, we'll bring that back or we'll make an iteration of that style. Then I'll look at the assortment and try to fill in the gaps of what may be missing, like different sleeve lengths, fabrics, and silhouettes. Do you think that there's there's still space for new businesses in the vintage clothing niche? And if someone w- did want to start this type of business, what, what could they do to stand out and set themselves up for success? I do think there's space in this market, to be honest. I would try to find a white space or a gap in the market and then fill it. Come up with unique and interesting product and photograph it well and have amazing customer service. Aside from your your store and website, what what other online presence does Unique Vintage have? Are there are there social media platforms that are especially useful for engaging with customers? Sure, we are of course on Instagram and Facebook. Instagram seems to be the most common social platform for our customer. We'll eventually try and grow on TikTok, but I think our customer is getting older, and so we're trying to stay where she is most engaged. Have you ever considered um, opening a brick and mortar store for the clothing? Uh, why or why not? We do have a brick and mortar store in Burbank and I have tried to open up a couple more, but I have not been successful. So at this point, especially with the economy, I don't have any plans to open up anymore. What was the thought process behind the first location and how do you think that that has helped or hindered the business? What's funny about that is that first location was not meant to be a store. It was meant to house the internet business. And I had like five people working out of my house and my husband works out of the house too. So it was so crowded. I had every closet and garage space filled with clothing. So the first space was meant to house the internet business, but customers kept walking in and saying, can I try stuff on? And so after a while, we just had to convert it into a retail space and move out, move out the internet business to a warehouse nearby. 
If you could pick one thing for, for people to take away from this interview, what would it be? Just do it. By just trying, you'll have a 99% chance of being more successful than most people. If it's a small business you're interested in starting, don't quit your day job until you can afford to. I think if I had quit sooner, I would have given up on Unique Vintage years before it took off. Listen to your customer, get out there and network, find like-minded business people to mentor you. You have to be passionate about running your own business, not just the product. Work hard, but stay humble. What's your favorite business book and why? I learn by hearing stories. So my favorites are the biographies. I really love the one by the founder of Nike, Shoe Dog. Katie, where can people learn more about you and Unique Vintage? I would love for them to stop by at uniquevintage.com and find us on Instagram at Unique Vintage. That's going to do it for this episode of the Upflip podcast. And listeners, if you want to hear from other clothing business owners, we've got more interviews on our YouTube channel and also in the podcast feed. And if you're ready to take the leap and start your own business or buy a business, you can check out the Upflip business listings to see what's available for sale now. Katie Echeverry of Unique Vintage. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. 